Chapter Eleven of the Copper Princess. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Betsy Bush, May two thousand nine. The Copper Princess by Kirk Monroe. Chapter Eleven. Nellie Trefethen finds a letter. Having donned his best suit for the interview with Major Arkell and realizing that his mine-clothing would be more in keeping with the job now on hand, Peveril first hastened home to make the change. He found only Mrs. Trefethen in the house, and at sight of him she expressed an eager curiosity to learn the result of his recent interview. "'It's all right,' he laughed, as he bounded up the narrow stairway leading to his room. "'I'm to turn sailor, and be captain of a craft somewhere up the coast.' "'Whatever can lad mean?' exclaimed the perplexed woman. "'I must sailor. Did ever any one ere the like o' that? Oh, Maester Peril, be ever coming back?' "'Of course I am,' shouted Peveril from the little upper room, in which he was hastily changing his clothing. "'I shall be back whenever my ship comes in, which will probably be in a week, or it may take a few days longer. There's a wreck, you know, and I'm going to save the pieces.' "'but I'll be down directly.' "'A rake!' gasped Mrs. Trefethen. "'And in a minute. "'Save us, but twill be worse than downshaft. "'Shaft be dry land, anyway. "'But they awful see that rageth like a lion "'seeking whom it may devour. "'Oh, Maester Peril!' "'Yes, coming.' "'The young man was just then making a hasty transfer "'of the contents of his pockets,' besides cramming into those of his working-suit several articles that he imagined might prove useful. At that moment an impatient whistle from the timber-train that would take him to the landing warned him that he had no more time to spare, and snatching his hat he sprang down the stairway. "'Good-bye, Mrs. Trefethen,' he cried. "'Tell Miss Nellie she shan't be turned out of her own room any longer. And tell her—but never mind— only tell her that I will have something important to say to her when I come back. Give her my love, and—here his words were cut short by another shrill whistle from the waiting train, and Peveril ran from the house, shouting back good-bye as he went, and leaving the good woman gasping with the breathless flurry of his departure. When Nellie Trefethen reached home a half-hour later, she received such a confused account of what had just happened— as caused her rosy cheeks to take on a deeper color, and filled her with a strange agitation. Mr. Peril had gone to be a sailor, and would come back very shortly as captain of a ship. Perhaps it would be a splendid great steamer, such as she had seen lying at the Marquette ore docks. He had left his love for her, he would have something of the greatest importance to say the next time he saw her, and she was not to be turned out of her room again. What could he mean by that? and what a very strange thing it was for a young man to say. Since he had said it to her mother, though, it must have meant, Oh, dear! How she wished she had not gone out that morning, and what an endless time a whole week seemed! At length, anxious to escape from her mother's torrent of words, and to be alone with her own thoughts, the blushing girl fled upstairs on the pretense of putting Mr. Peril's room in order. The very first thing she spied on entering the room, about which his belongings were scattered in every direction, was a letter lying on the floor, and almost hidden beneath the bed. Picking it up, she was surprised to find it sealed, 
and still more so to note that it was addressed to Mr. Richard Peveril. How could that be? Was their guest living among them under an assumed name? No, of course he wouldn't do such a thing, and this letter must have been handed to him by mistake. That was the reason why he had not opened it. The names were very much alike in sound, though so differently spelled. Besides, this letter was addressed in a lady's handwriting, and evidently came from some foreign country. She knew Mr. Peril was an American, because he had said so. He had also told them that he was, so far as he knew, without a relative in the world, so there was no sisters or young lady cousins to write to him. She did not think he could be engaged, because he had never mentioned the fact, while all the other young men of her acquaintance were in the habit of talking very freely about their best girls, if they were so fortunate as to have such. Besides, had not Mr. Peril just left his love for her, and a message to the effect that he had something very important to tell her? She would keep this hateful letter, though, and confront him with it the moment she saw him again. Then his manner would convey the information she wanted. How she did long to open it and just glance at its contents! The impulse to do this was so strong that only by thrusting the letter into her pocket could she resist it. Now the innocent cause of her perplexity seemed to burn like a coal of fire until she again drew it forth. A dozen times that day did she do this. With the temptation to set her doubts at rest by tearing open the sealed envelope, always assailing her with increased force. Finally, to her great relief, an honorable way of escaping this temptation presented itself. She would return the horrid letter to the post-office. From there, if it were indeed for Mr. Peril, he would in due course of time receive it, as he had before. While, if it were intended for someone else, it would be delivered to its rightful owner. This plan was no sooner conceived than executed and as the troublesome missive disappeared through the narrow slit of the post-office letter-box, the girl heaved a sigh of relief. When, the very next day, that identical letter was advertised on the post-office bulletin, and Nellie Trevithan saw the notice, she was assured that she had done the right thing. For ten days that advertisement stared her in the face whenever she visited the office, and then, to her great satisfaction, it disappeared— Rose Bonifay's message from across the sea had gone to the place of dead letters. But Nellie believed that it had at last found its rightful owner. On the very evening of Peveril's departure, Miss Nellie's old sweetheart, Mike Connell, joined her for a walk, and after much preliminary conversation, finally plucked up courage to ask if Mr. Peril had told her anything of importance before going away. "'What should he have to tell me?' asked the girl evasively. "'He might have told you that he liked you better than any other girl in the world,' was the diplomatic answer. "'You know he'd never say a thing like that, Mr. Connell,' cried Nellie, blushing furiously. "'Well, then, he might have said he was already bespoke.' "'I don't believe it.' "'It's true all the same.' "'What right have you to say so?' asked Nellie, whose face was now quite pale." the right of his own words, for he told me so himself. Who is she? He didn't say. Where does she live, then? Divil a bit do I know. I don't believe you know anything at all about it. You were just making up a story to tease me. Tasing you is the last thing I'd be thinking of, Nellie, darling. 
except it was tasing ye to marry me. No, Alanna, it's the truth I'm telling you, and if you can't believe me, just ax him. At the same time, I'm sore herded that ye should be carin' whether he's bespoke or no. I will ask him, answered the girl, and until I do, I'll thank you, Mr. Connell, never to mention Mr. Peril's name again. Not even to tell you what a brave, bold lad he is, and how handsome? You'd not be telling me anything I don't know. But, darlin', when he tells you with his own mouth that he's already bespoke, and not to be had at all, you'll not refuse a bit of hope to one who loves the very ground trod by your two little feet. Good night, Mr. Connell. Here's the door, and I'm going in. In the meantime, Peveril, after bidding good-bye to Mrs. Trefethen, had been whirled away by the little timber train to a landing on the lake shore, where he found the tug Bronco awaiting him. Towing behind it was a light, double-ended skiff, and on its narrow deck he saw three men, dressed very much as he was himself, whom he knew must be those chosen to assist him in his forthcoming labors. One of them was a bright-looking French-Canadian, while the others were evidently foreigners of the same class as the car-pushers in the mine. The captain of the tug was a Yankee named Spillins. The latter glanced over the note from Major Arkell that the newcomer handed him, and said, "'All right, Mr. Peril. If you're ready for a start, I am.' "'Yes,' replied Peveril. "'I'm ready.' And in another minute they were off. As they got under way, the young leader of the expedition walked aft to make the acquaintance of his men. He was annoyed to find that, while two of them were brawny fellows who looked well fit for work, they could not muster a dozen words of English between them. Noting his efforts to converse with them, the third man, who introduced himself as Joe Pintod, came to his assistance. "'No good you talk to dem dago feller, Mr. Peril,' he said." They can speak the English no more as woodchuck. You tell em, damn lazy scoundrel, they understand pret good, but by gar, you talk like white man, you got kick it in his head. Realizing the truth of Joe Pintod's words, Peveril left the others to a stolid smoking of their long-stemmed pipes, and sought whatever information their more intelligent companion had to give concerning their present undertaking. He quickly discovered that, while Joe was as ignorant as himself of that coast, he was an expert raftsman and logger. He also found that the tug carried a good supply of rope, axes, pike-poles, and other things necessary for the work in hand. After having satisfied himself on these points, Peveril gazed for a while at the bleak, rock-bound coast along which they were running and then, suddenly bethinking himself of a pleasure that he had reserved for a leisure moment, he entered the pilot-house, and sitting down on a cushioned locker behind Captain Spillins, who stood at the wheel, began to feel in his pockets. As he did this, his movements grew more and more impatient, until finally, with a muttered exclamation, he turned the entire contents of his pockets out on the cushion. "'Lost something?' asked the captain, looking around. "'Yes.' "'Not your money, I hope?' "'No, but a letter that was worth more to me than all the money in the world.' "'Phew!' whistled the captain. "'Must have been important.' End of chapter 11